If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We have, I believe at this point, seven floats under construction. I'm already ordering flowers. There's a minimum of two test drives per float. So every day there's a new adventure here. Every New Year's Day, Pasadena Tournament of Roses wows people all over the world with their iconic tradition, the Rose Parade. And despite the top-notch performers at marching bands and equestrian units, for a lot of people, it's all about seeing the floats. Irwindale-based Fiesta Parade Floats is the top award-winning float builder in Rose Parade history. And every New Year's Day, somehow they manage to make combining technology, engineering, and art look easy. Among their past creations is a float you'll probably remember, the Lucy Pet with the surfing dogs. Not only did that have its own wave generator, it made the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest and heaviest float in Rose Parade history. Fast forward to now, with the 131st Rose Parade coming up on Wednesday, January 1st, 2020, Fiesta Parade floats are hard at work doing what they do best. Project Manager Beverly Stansbury has more than 45 years experience in the float industry and specifically in building floats for the Rose Parade. She offered a look at what's involved in creating those incredible floats and getting them ready to go to Colorado and Orange Grove on New Year's Day. Beverly, I understand that you are a second generation float builder. What first sparked your imagination to the point that you knew you were going to make float building your life's work? I think I always kind of knew that. I just enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed the people and the creativity. Especially in the 60s and 70s, there were some really peculiar people that were so endearing to me and really to anybody that really knew them. So I believe that was really it. Although I did go on to college to get an education, but I got drawn back into the floats. Well, let's share a fun fact about you. Your dad worked for Isabella Coleman? That is correct. Tell me about one of the fun, peculiar people you met when he was working for her before we talk about Fiesta, please. Well, Isabella was, was quite peculiar. She knew what she wanted, she envisioned it, and she was gonna have it. And if that meant tearing down a float and starting over again, then that's what she, the crew would do. She came in very infrequently, but when she did, she was the captain of the ship, and everybody snapped to it. Tearing down the float, how far in advance of the parade? Oh, I don't remember. I was so young, mm -hmm. but I can remember my dad coming home going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward to today. Fiesta Parade floats, if I have my information correctly, since 1988 has been the leading float award winner. In 1989 was our first Rose Parade. The business did start obviously in 88, but our first parade was 89, and we have won the most awards ever since then. 
And as of right now, the sweepstakes and eight other rewards from the 2019, you're getting ready for the 2020 Rose Parade. That's right, and we're hopeful for the same number, if not more. <laughs> What's a preview of what we can see on New Year's Day from Fiesta? What all can you talk about that you're going to be entering in the Rose Parade? We have a little bit of everything from beautiful nature scenes to comical animals, the dig alert, which is um, underground service alert. They're coming back and they've been using the same characters for years now, five years. And they're now up to their shenanigans again and making disastrous movements because they didn't call 811 before they dug. <laughs> so that's cute. Northwestern Mutual, they're going with the popularity of llamas, but it's also in a comical scene this year. The UPS store, who won sweepstakes last year, definitely a contender again this year. Beautiful, beautiful float. When you have something like UPS that won sweepstakes last year, what are some of the engineering considerations? How much did that thing weigh? How long? And what did you have to do to build it? Well, last year was much more challenging because of the neck on the ostrich. This year, it's still challenging, probably more challenging on the decoration end of it. But as far as the weight of the float, it's probably 40,000 pounds when we get it completed. Tim, of course, has to do the engineering, anything over height. Tim is Tim Estes, the president of Fiesta Parade Floats. And I believe that floats 28 feet tall. So anything over 16 feet has to come down in less than 45 seconds and go back up again in, in a minute. So that's the most challenging and believe it or not, one of the most expensive aspects of float building is getting the over height. What about when you make something like, for example, Lucy Pet? What all kinds of special things do you have to do? Well, every float is unique. Even the smaller floats, every single float's unique. And um, it's the first time anything's been built, so it, there's challenges on everything. Either weight or height or more and more floats are having water features, waterfall features. So, of course, you have that added weight. And an additional requirement for Rose Parade floats? Every inch of them must be covered with organic materials. Decoration is becoming more and more challenging because us old folks, <laughs> as I call myself, the industry's changing florally because so many people are retiring and they're one in the world. And when they go, so do the floral materials go. Wow. So that's been more and more challenging. Here in California, a lot of the growers of popular flowers, they're now growing marijuana or have leased out their properties to marijuana farms. So that's been challenging. We lost one of our, well, the largest Gerber grower in North America. He closed down three years ago now. He did Gerbers and Anthuriums to bring in Anthuriums from other countries. It's three times the cost. So that made a big difference. Our orchid grower down in the Encinitas area, he was the only one that grew Cattleya orchids. He closed down because the property was too valuable to continue with greenhouses, so he sold to a developer. So you don't see Cattleyas anymore. Nobody really grows Cattleyas. I didn't even think about that yeah. when we had all this cannabis stuff. Yeah. With all the changes, how do you deal with that? You can't have Cattleyas now. What do you do? 
you just don't design with really pretty borderline purple flowers. <laughs> That's an answer that should have occurred to me. What about the design challenges? You have this massive thing that weighs tons and is lots of feet long. Now you have to make it beautiful. What are some of the things you have to think about when you're designing? In the float construction stage, in the design stage, versus the floral design, we have to be real careful on colors. And that, again, has to do with what materials are not readily available nowadays. So you're going to be seeing less and less bright yellow, obviously, the purple Cattleya orchids. We had unique people go out in the world and harvest just for us, and they're retiring. So you won't see that. So it's all challenging. You have to give it more thought on how we're going to be building it. I've also wondered, you're doing the same thing, but you never do it the same way twice. How do you keep things fresh and exciting every year? And that's the magic. It just happens. This is a really good team here. We've all worked together a long time. And we are always trying to outdo ourselves. And we learn from our past. It might have worked in the past, but it could work better. So that's where we go. What's an important creative lesson from the past that you use today? Gee, there's probably quite a few. I wouldn't say there's just one. It's what is visually working. It's what could have worked better because of that. What would it set me back if I, for example, am with the city of Torrance and I want to get a float from you? About how much am I spending? The Tournament of Roses to have a new entry in the parade, they're looking at 275 Wow. That sounds like a lot of money, but when you consider that's designing, construction, decorating, floral, insurance, it's not a lot of money. There's not a big profit to be made in the float industry. And to me, it's a dying breed because of that. Budgets are not going up. Cities are having a more difficult time raising the funds. It's still good for commercial accounts. Their budgets can go up to 400000 and they get an awful lot of exposure for that. And it's absolutely incredible when it goes by. How do we keep this going? This is an amazing tradition. A lot of people put their hearts and souls into it. What do we need to do? We, everybody's going to have their own opinion. The tournament definitely has an opinion that the parade needs to be more entertaining. Where the builders feel it needs to remain traditional and floral. And we all get it that the younger generation does not watch Rose Parade. They don't watch parades. Parades in general are not as popular as they used to be. And neither are bowl games. So the tournament's having double whammy on that. We feel, I feel, that if the younger people are not watching, then you really need to please the older audience, older being 35 and up. I see more younger families on the street. You don't see the teenagers, but you do see the younger families starting the tradition with their children. And of course, all the, the people in their 40s, 50s, 70s, all the way up. So to me, that's the premier audience. That's who you need to please, which is not necessarily the general feeling. I don't think that you having a Taylor Swift on a float for entertainment. These kids nowadays, they're going to turn on YouTube and watch it for, you know, a minute. They're not going to watch the parade. So that's my feeling. You need to know what works, 
and what has worked for 130 some years and continue that tradition. And especially here in Southern California, it's such a tradition for families. We have third and fourth generation float decorators. They started out as Girl Scouts or high school kids, or, or I mean, Isabella used to hire high school kids to come in. And of course, the floats are much more complicated and take more hours to decorate. But they're coming in with the grandkids. And it's a wonderful tradition to see. We have a lot of supervisors, maybe three or four, that are third generation now too. So their kids grew up in it, and now they're raising their kids in the decoration. When I, that's mostly the decoration end of it. And when you talk about third and fourth generation, people often say, how can I decorate a rose float? You've got a page on your website about that. We do, and we're improving it this year, so make sure next year you look even earlier on our website. We'll, we'll have our address. We, we're having a new address. But what we do, unlike other float companies, we depend on the Girl Scouts and local high school groups. We work very closely with the Royal High School, and we make annually about a $20,000 donation to organizations, the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles. It's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for what they do. But it does help the individual troops. It does help with the band, with their travel expenses when they get to go out of town. And it's a nice thing. We don't depend solely on volunteers. It's probably less than 5%. I would be a nervous wreck. I don't know how these other float builders do this, just hoping someone might show up to decorate. I'm too much of a control freak. I need to know. If I need X amount of bodies on a shift, I'm going to have those bodies, and that's why I want to be guaranteed that. We work really hard all year long, and these contracts are signed with the corporations. They expect their float to be decorated, and I just don't know how the other builders do that. I've always wondered, in fact, how in the world with your professional staff do you manage when it's little bean by little bean, and we know that these floats have to leave at 6 o'clock the night before? Well, that's when the little pixies come in on the night of the 29th and 30th. Well, I don't know how it happens either. It just all of a sudden gets pulled together. It's amazing to me, and I've been doing this well, well over 50 years. It's just absolutely amazing to me how it just all comes together. And it comes together because of the love and dedication of everybody out there. It's horrendous hours, and there's really no thank you other than seeing what you've given your love to go down the street, especially with an award. But it's such a team group effort. I don't know of any other event where this type of personal feelings can come out. And in fact, the only reason I know anything about the schedule is you were kind enough to meet with me nine years ago for a different show and tell me a little bit about this. But for anyone who did not hear that, what are we talking about for a schedule? The year starts, the parade's over, now we have to think of next year. What kind of a schedule do you have? Well, we pretty much January is getting rid of last year, January and February. February is coming up with the new ideas and really defining what might work. Then you have March, April, and May where the heavier sales occur, the clients that you know are returning, you know what their desired look and taste are, so you work with them first. The tournament will invite new entries. This year they're trying to get it done earlier, and I think it's done now. Here we are in the middle of September. 
I believe their deadline for new entries was probably around September 1st. We took a float on last year in November. Wow. So that that's challenging to everybody from the tournament and making their press deadlines on their programs and it's just everybody and everything our flower growers having to come up with additional flowers so it's nice to see that date move back up to where it should be again so assuming that all cells are done we're 100 percent into construction we have i believe at this point seven floats under construction this last two weeks we've had three designs be approved by the clients so those floats will be started in the next week or two and that'll take us all the way up i'm already ordering flowers a lot of it is stab in the dark i order my iris in may and god only knows if we need iris <laughs> so it's just an educated guess and you you're committed to it but you just go from past experiences and sometimes not that it's ever i mean one year we used like 45,000 iris and one year we used like 500 but usually it's somewhere in between uh, 10 to 15,000 you can pretty well plan on using that on our floats. What do you do when you have the extra irises and things if you've overordered? We don't have extra, we use it. If it's purchased, my attitude is, it's going on a float before it goes into the garbage. So instead of 50 a square foot, then you're gonna put 70 in a square foot. It's purchased, it's viled, use it. And it comes out of the budget already, so it's paid for per float, we just make it work. We might have to move things around and make the water area a little bit bigger, take the roses that should have been in the area and fill in a little bit thicker or put them on another float. When it comes down to it, we have very little. I would imagine less than 1% of our flowers are left over. What happens for you now in September? What's coming up? Well, for us, for me personally, I'm already scheduling decoration groups. We actually start decorating, preparing materials the second weekend in November, all the way through Christmas, preparing materials that's cutting the status. Our marigold orders start coming in next week. We cut the marigolds and then dehydrate them. So that's the brightest orange and yellow you can get in the industry now. So that actually starts next Tuesday. Supplies are starting to come in. I'm ordering supplies. Jim hasn't even seen four floats because he's been out at the LA County Fair. He's the coordinator out there for the Flower and Garden Show. Jim Hind, Vice President and Floral Director of Fiesta Parade Floats, has won multiple awards in floral design competitions in the US, Europe, and Asia. Putting in orders, starting to get our dry materials ordered. I probably order about, I guess about eight to 10,000 pounds of dry materials a year. Wow. And they sometimes are difficult to come up with, depending on what globally is happening, because we bring those materials in from all over the world. So you want to start that a little bit earlier. They're, of course, going to gangbusters out on those floats, constructing them getting ready, both construction. We have move outs where we take the floats out to be road tested. He had one last weekend, in fact, 
We have one on the 28th of September with completed floats. Well, we say completed. They're about 85% done. So there's a, every day there's a new adventure here. When we talked before, there were two test drives a year, if I remember rightly. Is that still true? Yes, there's a minimum of two test drives per float. The first one, and then there's a mechanical. The mechanical is when the float is still pretty bare. They come in and the mechanical technicians, I think they're called now instead of mechanics, at the Tournament of Roses, they come in and check, you know, what we've done and make sure that it's all okay. Then we put probably about 40% of the structure on the floats, and that's when we have our first T1. And then for the T2, you have to have the majority of the weight on the float, and anything over height has to show that it can come down and go back up in the right height. And you have your float riders at that time for the emergency fire drill. And how do they do this? What happens for the fire drill? Well, they for our particular building, we go around the block, and when we're about two-thirds around the corner, the tournament will yell, fire, fire. The float drivers have to stop and park the float, turn off the ignition. They pull their fire extinguishers. They get outside the float. And hopefully by then, the majority of float riders are off. You have 30 seconds to get off of a float, which is a long time when you think that there's fire behind you. You can get off in about three seconds, tell me. Even I can. And then you step to the curb, make sure everybody's off the float safely. And then once that occurs, then they pile them back on and finish the road test. And that, I understand, stood you in good stead in the past when you've had, in the very rare instances, you've had any kind of a problem. It seems to have been conquered very quickly. That is correct. Everybody's pretty well trained. Most of our float drivers, we call them drivers, or observers, animators, float operators, I guess would be the proper word. Most of ours have been driving for, gosh, at least 20 years. So they're very, and they all have real jobs out there in the world, and they're very conscious about safety. And most of their jobs, they have a job that a lot of our float drivers, for instance, are engineers on for the railroad. Yeah. So they're, they're really safety-conscious people to begin with. So we've never had any problem. I, in fact, the Rose Parade has never had a problem. Everybody it really is safety-conscious. Which is great when you think that there are all these floats, they're doing something you've never really done before. This particular piece of equipment, anything can go wrong, and no one's ever been injured by any of them. And that is correct. And every year it's different. And even if it's not even a mechanical issue, it can be, you know, a carburetor that's brand new that's not working properly. You just never know what it can be. I like to call it gremlins. Yes, I would agree with that. But we're really, really fortunate. Everybody is very safety-minded, and we get through it. What would you do with Murphy's Law? What in the past have you had to do? Let's say that, I don't know, maybe something bumps into an overpass, which usually doesn't happen, or somebody, I don't know, doesn't drive just right. How do you handle that just before the parade? You just deal with it. I just... What always has to be corrected is the lettering or the signage on the float. We try to travel without the signage on the float, just in case of the drunk driver going through the intersection, which does occur more than you would believe. And we just, we have a patch of what we call a patch-up crew. 
we have 10 decorators per float. So we easily have 100 decorators on the street, on Orange Grove. And then we also have every supervisor. So most of our floats have two supervisors. So then again, you're looking at 25 supervisors. We have our scaffolding truck. That's all that's in that truck is scaffolding. And we, we take our glues and our patch-up kits. So we're ready to go. And major things do happen, but you just make it work. And you're over there for many hours, so we get it done. What's your favorite story of a major thing happening that you had to deal with, any kind of patch-up or anything? Well, there's been quite a few. I've done nose jobs on large figures where they've hit a wire and <laughs> lost their nose. And it's amazing what you find that works. That was, um, we went into an outhouse and got toilet paper and watered it down with glue, white glue, and formed a nose up there on Orange Grove. Are there any things that you need, anything that our listeners, if you need any kind of support, might want to help you by providing? No, we're usually really, really well prepared now. It's not like it used to be where we would ask for people to, you know, give us materials, unique materials out of their yards. It's much more sophisticated. The floats are larger. They're much more floral than they used to be. You better plan on, again, if you don't have that on order, you better not sleep that night because you, you need that. You just can't hope someone's going to bring in stuff. We do have some people, though, that bring us in unique stuff every year. Have a lady up. And she, I think she's actually in Altadena, but she has a cabin up in Lyle Creek, and she brings us linaria pods off of one of her bushes, and we, we plan on that. We have people bring us pine cones. Every year they show up their pine cones, and we use that material. So it's nice to have friends like that. I envision them watching come by and saying, look, look, that came off my tree. Exactly, exactly. That does happen. What's one of your main sources of creative inspiration as the project manager for this? What renews your creativity when you have this to do again and again? I think what it is is I enjoy trying to find new materials. I'm not saying every year we come up with a new material, but it's, it's real funny. We, we can, three or four years ago, well, probably five years ago now, I have a house up in Oregon and my sister lives up there and her friend has a cranberry, organic cranberry box. And her friend said, gee, I have this trash that looks like it would be really pretty. Well, it's the leaves off the cranberry bush. After they, they've, you know, put the water in and then they shake off the berries, then the, the plant dies and it's this shiny, beautiful mahogany color leaf and it's so lightweight, but you can't buy that. You have to know somebody that is an organic cranberry grower <laughs> to get that. So that to me is fun, is finding new materials. What do the final hours feel like and look like when you get to three days prior to the rose parade? What's your schedule? Well, actually starting, we have people already working overtime. They're working six days a week. My schedule is starting in October, I work Saturdays and I go to 10 hour days. In November, I go to 12 hour days and seven days a week for November and December, at least. There is a couple projects I do here where I have to be alone, and I'll actually spend a couple all-nighters here just to get when phones aren't ringing and people aren't coming through. Starting December 26, we have decoration from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. 
that's two shifts per day on the 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th. We work all night on the 30th. Our floats have to be completed by, we say, sun up on the 31st when judging occurs. And then the boys have to break down the floats, get them ready to travel to Pasadena. Then they tow, which is almost all night long. We get over there about midnight. Then we patch them up. Then we work the parade. Then you go to the end of the parade and make sure everything's okay. The float riders are off and everybody's safe. They do a little bit of mechanical. They work with the tournament mechanics, make sure that temperatures are okay and that type of thing. They have temperature gauges on the inside for the drivers now. And then you go home. I quit working move back, but move back's usually the next day. And then our crew has to be over there like at 3 o'clock to tow the floats back here. Meanwhile, we have, um, and they get here about 2 or 3 in the morning usually, we have a crew that works January 2nd that stays here because they have to clean up the building and get all the rentals stacked up. We use so many miles of scaffolding. We don't own enough, so we have to rent that. So I have to get that stacked. We have temporary office trailers. We have porta potties. All that has to be picked up, and they have to clear the building so the floods can get back in here and then after move back. So it's it's a nonstop until, depending on how the week works. We sometimes have Friday off, but <laughs> the first Friday of the year. But this past year, 2019, they had. Um, three parades in January. They had Chinese, they had the Kingdom Parade. We do what we refer to as paper parades, but local community parades, non-floral parades. We had Chinese display down at South Coast Plaza, which was floral. So there's no rest for us. It just starts right back up again. And in fact, I saw that year of the dog display on your website. How gorgeous was that? Yeah, it was really, really pretty. They're all pretty. You do, I think, also Bellagio and some Las Vegas. We build the props. So we're a sub-sub-subcontractor and ship them on up there. But we do probably about 30 parades a year. Wow. Do you have nightmares sometimes about floats and things? I'm not too much involved in that. In fact, I'm not involved at all in that other than floral aspects. Yeah, we used to. I still have nightmares about Usually January, February, any float builder will still be having nightmares about the rose parade. Like, oh my God, did we get all the floats there? And, you know, Dom Bent, who he owned C. Benton's son, was a float builder his entire life. He always had a dream that one of his floats never showed up on Orange Grove. And it's not a dream, it's a nightmare. And, you know, you, you just wake up, you know, oh my God, did I do that? And, you know, what happened there? And how did that happen? And you just, you don't sleep well for a couple of weeks after the parade, that's for sure. But the funniest thing that just reminded me is when you're trying to catch up in laundry and all that, and you're cleaning out your pockets and you pull out this piece of paper and you think, oh my God, that note was so important a month ago. <laughs> and it's trash today. <laughs> but I, I couldn't live without that note a month ago. So, the reminder yeah, of what you had to do. Yeah, it's like any exactly, event. Exactly. Well, finally, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, the signature question I always ask for my podcast, what would you want them to take away from you and Fiesta Parade Floats? 
I think what might be is that this is a challenging industry, and but yet anybody can do it. You don't have to have artwork background. You don't have to have mechanical background. This industry teaches you. If you want to learn and you want to better yourself, you can't beat this industry. And this it's always been this way. I can remember, I mean, in the 60s, it was not unusual to have female welders. And then all of a sudden in the 80s, it was like, what everybody was talking about. It was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> We've always had that. No discrimination. And again, you can be wealthy or, or, or poor. Everybody's an equal in the float industry. And it's, it's kind of amazing when you look around. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that, that there were no barriers. If you had a desire to do the work and work hard, it's hard work. There's not a boss standing over you telling you exactly how to do it. If you're creative, if you use your brain, you show up on time, you work a hard day, this is a good industry for you. Now, granted, if you're mathematically inclined, then you go more into the engineering aspect of it. If you want to learn hydraulics, you have to be mechanically minded. But there's people here to teach you because that's what this industry is about passing it down from generation to generation. You don't go to school and learn to be a float builder. It's taught, it's an old world craft in that sense that the older generation teaches the younger generation. So that's what I would take away from this is how open this industry can be if you are a hard worker. Beverly, thank you for your time today. You're welcome. You and I have been listening to Beverly Stansbury, project manager at Fiesta Parade Floats in Irwindale, Check out Fiesta Parade Floats Facebook page. On Facebook, look for Fiesta Floats. And meanwhile, if you'd like to see photographs of the floats they constructed for the 2019 Rose Parade, including the one that won the top prize of the parade that sweepstakes, look for the UPS float. Check out their website, fiestaparadefloats.com. That's fiestaparadefloats.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.